our, our target actually is we've got a pet snail called Gary. Um, this is from Gary the snail from SpongeBob SquarePants. So, so Gary uh, is, is capable uh, of, of currently, he's capable of going 14 times faster than, than, than a tunnel boring machine. <laughs> okay. You, you so want to beat Gary? We want to beat Gary. <laughs> yeah. he's, he's not a patient little fellow. That will be victory. Victory is beating the snail. The voice you just heard is that of billionaire entrepreneur Elon Musk. Probably best known for his work on reusable rockets to reduce the cost of transport to low Earth orbit, Musk is also known for transforming his electric vehicle business Tesla into the most valuable car company in the world. Not a man given to diplomacy when making his point. He also took aim at the tunnelling industry after his efforts to promote Hyperloop as a technology ran into... Reality? Perhaps. Musk adopted a pet snail that he named Gary. His aim was to try and goad the industry into improving its advance rates and so reduce its costs. Reduce its costs to the point that such a fanciful idea as Hyperloop could become economically viable? Moving on. Regardless of what people might think of Hyperloop as a transport system, the gauntlet was on the floor. Musk launched a series of competitions, one of which, the not-a-boring-competition, challenged teams from around the world to drill a 30-metre-long, 500-millimetre-wide tunnel as quickly and as accurately as possible. Of 400 entrants, 12 were selected to compete, and the competition was held on 12th of September 2021 in the Nevada desert in the United States. Of the 12, only one completed the challenge. But we're not talking to them today. Hello and welcome to the Tunnelling Podcast, the official podcast of the British Tunnelling Society. I'm Alex Conacher. And I'm Bernadette Ballantyne. In this episode, we are talking to one of the entrants to the Not A Boring competition. Swiss Loop Tunnelling. It is, as you might have guessed, a Swiss entrant to the contest, made up of students at ETH Zurich. They picked up that gauntlet and decided to answer the challenge in a way befitting one of the foremost technical universities in Europe. They decided to make it difficult for themselves, but interesting. They didn't win the competition overall, but they did make people sit up and take notice of their unusual lining system. They walked away with second place, and the Innovation and Design Award. How this happened is the story of this episode, and our protagonist is a young engineer named Luca Entremont, the co-head mechanical and production lead at Swiss Loop Tunneling. So originally I'm from Austria, so I'm not from Switzerland. I'm, um, I've studied uh, in the high school there at its um, science-based high school. So science is something that has interested me for, for quite some time. I've been part in international competitions where physics and chemistry and uh, informatics and so on were like heavily part as topics. And uh, so my interest in, in these kinds of fields has started um, already, I suppose, five or six years ago. So when I was 13 or, or 14, currently I'm 20, 20 years old. But then in the end of high school, I noticed, okay, this all, all this stuff is very theoretical, right? It's a, you, you know a lot of stuff, you have a lot of stuff in your head, 
But in the end, Luca decided he was more comfortable with something in his hand rather than in his head. And in the end of the day, I, I think that's, um, that's what's most fulfilling. And, and uh, the things you study in a very theoretical way will probably only be relevant in decades, right? Decades later after discovering it. Like if you discover a new I don't know, physics, physics formula or something, it's, it's something that's not immediately relevant. And that's, I think, very discouraging. And uh, so I decided to, to go into a more technical field, more applied field. And the one that covered the most, uh, the, the whole field most broadly is mechanical engineering. Luca says his family are not overly technical. My father has studied um, medical engineering, which is something quite quite a bit apart from mechanical engineering, but I, I suppose somewhat in the in similar direction. Um, and I think I might have picked up with this interest uh, from from him also in my childhood. Um, but uh, my mother, for instance, or, or grandparents have had, had nothing to do in, in this direction. And this is not Luca's first area of interest. He has looked at neural networks and brain-computer interfaces before deciding to try his hand at revolutionizing tunneling. I'm generally a person I want to know as, as much as possible in as many fields as possible. So I'm kind of, you, you might notice an analogy, I would, I would strive, I would like to strive to be a, a T-shaped person, right? I know a lot of stuff in, in a broad way, but then also be knowledgeable in, in specifics but not, not so specific as, um, as to lose kind of the, the, the broad view. I, I suppose if you're, uh, if you're only focusing on one part, for instance, if you're focusing only on chemistry or something, it's, I, I think you might, you, might lose this, um, you might lose this broad view of the world because the world is much, much more complex than just this, this deep knowledge of this one subject that you have. Thinking inside one field, one box, doesn't really motivate him. And so I'm trying to do very different things. I'm trying to also build a network in different areas. So did he find Swiss Loop tunneling or did they find him? I think I, I, I found them. It's, um, before I even started uh, studying at, at ETH, I always thought when, when I want to go abroad, right, for studying, because you remember I, I came from Austria, the motivating factor of, of studying abroad is not specifically the topics that are covered because they are approximately the same in all the universities, whether I'm staying in Austria or going uh, to Switzerland or France or whatever, the topics are approximately the same. So I thought, okay, what, what distinguishes these universities? And one major factor is, is the projects that are, that are um, kind of covered or the projects that you have the opportunity of being part of. And uh, in Switzerland, this uh, ETH Zurich University, it's um, known for bringing bringing together people from all around the world, from Germany, from uh, even from Singapore, from France, obviously, from Italy and also Austria and Spain and, and so on. And this broad, this mix of people, this very diverse mix of people makes it super exciting to be part of like these projects, right? It's, um, it's something that I think many people are motivated by and also Switzerland really uh, supports these kind of projects. Swiss Loop Tunneling has been supported by something like 80 or 90 partners, which has made the effort possible. This support covers financial, logistics, products, software licenses, marketing, all sorts. This enthusiasm from industry is vital for this kind of work. Challenges are one thing, but if the industry shrugs and looks away, opportunity dies. So that made me really motivated to be part of, of some project. And then the first thing I, or the first project I actually saw that is 
um, offered or that is um, practiced in, in, in Zurich, so in this ETH Zurich, is Swissloop. So Swissloop is uh, another organization that is doing these um, Hyperloop pods. The actual pods of Hyperloop that people will travel in. And uh, so the first email I sent actually when I came to to university is, uh, hey, do you, do you guys want to want to take me? I'm, I would I would love to work as a freelance guy for you. Yes, a month after they declined, right? They they said, oh no, we're already full and uh, we, we can't do it, but ask again next year. Hyperloop is an immensely popular field for young engineers and it completely discouraged Luca. Well, for about a year. I spent the first year of, of university just studying, focusing on the studies. And then one, one day when I was watching the recordings of the lecture, because then already the um, COVID pandemic started, you, you watch all, all the things as recordings, at least I did. Um, I saw that in one lecture, the Swiss Loop Tunneling uh, team came and uh, introduced their, their project, which, which has been founded or had been founded one month earlier. And um, then I was really motivated. Hey, I want to be part of that. There's this international competition also in, in the US and uh, that's actually a dream coming true, right? Because I, I was discouraged this first year only studying and no projects and so on. That was not really the reason why I came to Switzerland. But then this event occurred and I was, I was hooked from, from the start, right? And being part of it, like from the very beginning or from one month after founding has always, uh, always really inspired me as well because I could be part of decisions, right? Part of major decisions, major progress and, and so on. And that, that was kind of how I got into this project. Luca had joined a team of engineers that set out to see if they could revolutionize an industry. To see if they could weather the Nevada desert. And to see if they could beat Gary the snail. The boring company. They um, announced this not a boring competition, which, um, at least in our mind, is the follow-up competition from the SpaceX Hyperloop competition that you might know. See our episode on the 30th of October 2020, Answering the Hyperloop Challenge, and we've a link to it in the show notes. And uh, a couple of engineers then, then left Swissloop after not having these competitions anymore. They kind of wanted to move on and they then uh, created, in response to this um, this announcement from the Boring Company, created Swissloop Tunneling, which in mm -hmm. the first, at least in the first year, had this only, only goal of being part of this competition, developing all the systems in that direction, and um, yeah, that was uh, the origin story of uh, Swiss Loop Tunneling. In every student project, there is a high turnover of personnel. Some join the universities, some finish their studies, some move to other areas, some drop out. But generally, I feel like the, the unifying theme or the unifying characteristic that um, unites all these uh, engineers or all these, all these people, we also have business administration students and, and, and so on in our team, is the curiosity, right? The curiosity, what, what can we do as a group of students? Right? We, we, from the outside, right, we're just students as, as, as individuals, right? We have um, often not even finished bachelors yet. We often don't even have the same, the same um, study topic right, as, as um, necessary for this, this project. And then it's really inspiring to see where, as a group, we can go because it's obviously much, much stronger than individuals, right? If we come together, if we brainstorm about ideas. The team is maybe 50, maybe 70 people, all different. And they came together to produce a machine to answer the challenge. 
It was called Groundhog Alpha. I would say each system of our machine is kind of unusual because from the start of this project, we, we didn't want to go into this common solution, right? We didn't want to diverge again into uh, solutions of, of pipe jacking, solutions of just simple excavation that um, kind of limits your, your flexibility. So we, from the start, we wanted to strive for innovation, which in the end, uh, as you might know, paid off with the award. Um, and, and that obviously also includes the, uh, the excavation system, which is the erosion system, as we call it. Here, Lucas says the unusual part of the system is the care they took to coat all of the parts. Because obviously in the front, everything moves, stones get thrown inside, and um, it's kind of heavy duty. And that's why with, with our partners, we spent some effort to, to coat the whole, the whole crusher with a tungsten carbide coating, which is one of the strongest and hardest materials that is, that is known. And uh, that really makes it uh, unstoppable, right? You can throw almost everything inside there and uh, in the back with, with our uh, vacuum pump or Venturi pump, it gets sucked out and is much, much smaller than obviously in the beginning. So working through from the front, Imagine the stone has eyes, right? Imagine the stone can see what is coming in his direction or its direction. It's uh, the first thing that, that it sees is the cutter head, kind of, which is uh, the rotating part with uh, some cutter wheels on it, which have a special geometry as well to accommodate various different types of ground. That's the first thing. So a moving cutter head. And then inside we have a chamber um, that kind of um, covers the cutter head and um, kind of also houses the the cone crusher, as we call it. The cone crusher is uh, something that you can think about like a, like a large cake or a Christmas tree, shape-wise, and is, it is tightly connected with the cutter head. So it also rotates in the same speed, which is namely about 30 R RPM, uh, which is quite, quite fast, I would say. That's um, one rotation every two seconds. And um, because the cone crusher has this special shape of a Christmas tree, so it gets larger as we get further behind, uh, it gets kind of um, crushed between the, the cover. So there is, um, there's the cover of the extrusion unit and the, and the cutter head. And that kind of uh, leads to large stones being um, made, made much, much smaller and then uh, leading also to, their, uh, to the ease of uh, transportation of, of all the muck to the, to the back. So further, further back in the, in the tunnel boring machine, you have the Venturi uh, section, which houses the vacuum pump that I mentioned. And with uh, very, very low pressure, we suck all the muck to the back. So the small stones, the water, the dirt and sand and, and so on. But the really interesting part of the Swiss Loop tunneling machine is its lining system, a printed polymer system. So the overarching aim we had with this system is that we want to be as flexible as possible. So, you know, usual pipe jacking methods, you can only go straight, right? You push a pipe uh, into the ground with the diam diameter that you, you wish. Um, in our case, it's 50 centimeters. So that is 500 millimeters. And um, usually when you want straight pipes, you push it through. It's, uh, it's fast, it's reliable, but it's not what we wanted. We wanted to have a flexible way of um, steering the machine and um, deciding where our tunnel goes, deciding where our tunnel wall also goes. And that is why we came up with this special liner system, which uh, first of all consists of uh, two component polymer. So there's a two, uh, two component MMA glue kind of, and um, 
in the very beginning, we, we pump it from the outside. So we have um, large pumps, large barrel emptying pumps, which uh, pump the two components to the inside of the machine, which are still separated then, so they're not curing. But then right before the liner system, they get mixed together, right? And then the chemical process starts of them uh, kind of getting together, uh, spreading heat, and, and in, that, in that case, also getting hard. They focused on getting the hardening process to work as fast as possible. In our case, that would be eight minutes. We did experiments that confirmed these, these eight minutes until the mixture of these polymers has reached about 80% of its toughness. So then we have this nozzle system, which um, kind of spreads this, um, these two components before they get mixed together and then they get ejected out of these nozzles. We have 12 nozzles that are kind of um, spread around the circumference of, of our tunnel boring machine and um, they eject this polymer outside. And then to accommodate kind of the curing process or to not make the polymer stick on, on our steel parts, stick on our motors and so on, we have this inner layer as a protection which we roll out on, on rolls that are inside these, these nozzles. So that is a um, very basic description on the inside roll out kind of cover or a carpet of, uh, of a lamella. Then you eject the polymer on this layer. And then again, in a further step, you again repeat this process of unrolling a carpet, kind of, of a glass fiber um, fibers in our case. So in the end, what you have is one layer of protective, protective layer. And um, then in the middle, this hardened MMA glue. And then on the outside, our glass fiber lamella. So you have kind of the sandwich structure. This is then what, what we give time to cure. So we have about one, one and a half meters of rolls that kind of um, lead to structural integrity or, or the tunnel wall not caving in and so on. And then after eight minutes, this, um, this sandwich uh, structure of, of a tunnel wall has, has cured and is then hard enough to propulse against with our propulsion system. The interesting property is that it's still really flexible, quite rubbery, which allows advance with 10 tonnes of propulsive force without rupturing, but still allows steering. Relevant to the speed aspect of the challenge is that this system allows continuous tunnelling. We didn't want to take breaks, right? Because that is uh, something that often um, costs a lot of time in tunneling. So that's something that we wanted to avoid. And so it's a continuous process. So we're not we're not stopping. In fact, if we stop, we we have a slight problem because in the nozzles and and in the in the system that comes before nozzles, things would would cure uh, on places that we wouldn't want it to cure yet. A risk of the innovation and one that demands continuous advance. This, uh, great that you mentioned it, is, is something that we are currently trying to optimize, right? We we're just recently created a new, new um, sub-team kind of in, in our organization, which is the Liner R&D team. So Liner Research and Development that kind of um, takes into account these disadvantages we have with the past system, which are numerous, right? Um, but again, it's something that we came up with and something that... Uh, we had to decide on quickly because we had one one year right from the announcement of the competition to the competition itself so in one year uh, we had to develop a system that is produced in in, in a simple way and uh, we had to we had to deal with these disadvantages still but then again we're currently trying to resolve them with a with a new system and also a system that is uh, more able to be scaled up could the system be flushed at this point 
if a stop were necessary? We we could flush the system. We could um, it it would accumulate, right? If you if you keep pumping, you keep pumping the polymer, it would accumulate in this area where we we stopped, and you would have a thick ring of of polymer. And in the worst case, it would spread and on onto our systems and and make everything sticky and and a mess. This glue was originally designed for ship work. You're gluing right. ship parts together. Uh, so it's really super, super hard to get rid of. And I would even say impossible, right? You would have to replace all the um, steel parts and replace the system. So um, flashing, we thought about flashing maybe only one component in order to, to not make it harden, but then again, to have the, the flow be, be possible after stopping. That is one, um, that is one possible solution. Then you would um, then you would spread this this polymer and into the ground, which is something we would also not not like to do. One clear plus side is that as this is a ship glue material, it definitely does not have a problem with salt water or similar abrasives. But fire has not yet been tested. However, a number of research projects are underway to improve the system. I think um, the most promising solution that we're currently thinking of is printing again polymer, of course, because polymer is is kind of something that's very ubiquitous. You can buy it very cheap. It's much easier to do continuous continuous tunneling with polymer uh, rather than with steel or concrete, right? That's something with concrete and with steel, you would have to transport segments inside, which again makes it necessary to, to stop the machine and bring them on and then have a lot of time kind of wasted in, in this process. So that what, we're, what they're currently taking a look at is real extrusion of, of this, um, this polymer. So the idea is to pneumatically kind of uh, pump um, pellets of, uh, of um, polymer. So currently we are thinking about PLA or PET, uh, pumping then on, on the inside with, um, with a high volume of air kind of, and then pumping it inside. And then on the inside have a kind of extrusion unit where with a spiral you transport these pellets into a heating zone, which has approximately 100 to 200 degrees. So to melt this polymer and then spread it spread it to the outside. But there, there are a couple of advantages that we would have with that, uh, namely the, the price. So the, the polymer itself would be much, much cheaper than what we're currently using. So the MMA has a hefty price, I would say. And uh, if we want to kind of think about the long-term plan of this organization, which at some point will, will lead to, to startups or to industry um, contracts or so on, we, we have to think about these kinds of things as well. And that's why we have named like R&D, right? Because they're researching, taking a look at price tags, um, taking a look at, okay, how much energy would we have to provide in order for this volume of, of polymer to, to melt? Which is calcul- We did that calculation and it's in a feasible range. And now we're working on prototypes of this system. In a, in a smaller scale and uh, other other problems that that would be solved is this continuous process right we would be able to to stop as well if if it would be necessary so for instance if the erosion in the front it, it breaks for some reason then we would be able to stop fix it and continue um, which is something we would would wish to be able to do the system was designed for very specific ground conditions in nevada close to las vegas but the precise location wasn't entirely clear. The teams had to make assumptions, and it was thought that the ground conditions would be sand. The young engineers had a rude introduction into the world of tunneling. It was not sand. So even, a funny story, we didn't, we didn't even think about a, an 
erosion system kind of we just had water jets uh, getting rid of the sand but because we expected only sand but then after more detailed logs or detailed um, kind of pinpoints of where this location of the competition would be um, we quickly learned that it would um, it would also include stones it would also include caliche uh, with the super hard material um, so we had to adapt the system also to this so um, currently the Namely, the erosion system is built for all types of ground uh, because we didn't know like which specific thing we should optimize it for. Uh, in the future, I could imagine we we design different cutter heads, we design different systems and just make it more modular, right? If they have a contract or a competition that's only in sand or only in rock, they'd modify for that. But the competition was the competition and they adapted as they could and headed for the desert. The main part of the competition, it was seven days, as you might know, the main part of the competition, so six days um, were just safety checks. So the boring company spent time with each of the eight teams that were there and checked their systems, checked if we have, have the right uh, documentation, if we have the right analysis. For six days, the competition checked that nothing could endanger the participants. I think it was 180 checks or something that we had to provide for hydraulics, for um, high pressure systems, air pressure for um, moving parts, high torque parts and um, generally high, high energy systems, right? Because high energy is something that in the end could, could potentially hurt or endanger you. The checks made up the majority of the competition. The actual tunneling took place on the last day, a Sunday. Only two teams were kind of um, able to or, or allowed to dig even. That would have been the um, Swiss Loop Tunneling. So our team was was um, passed all the safety checks and was allowed to dig. And then TU Munich. So that's the, the um, other well-known technical university that's in, in Munich, so in Germany. In the end, there was a huge sandstorm. Rain and thunder the day before the teams were due to dig. The worst possible timing that uh, kind of made electronics and, and so on a bit, um, a bit hard to, to handle. And also time time issues. Only only TU Munich was was able to kind of dig part part of the way. So our system was ready to operate, and the the individual systems moved and, and worked. And, but um, the integration was not as as perfect as it would have needed to be in order to uh, to dig the first meters of the tunnel. I think uh, TU Munich they they dug I think 10 meters or something. So one third of of the of the way, and then. In the end, the, the stone conditions were um, were so so tough as um, so so it was possibly the, the the worst possible ground, right? It was much much caliche, and uh, then the the friction force was was too large for them to to push all the way through. The opposing system was basically a container that the team engineered with partner companies. And they pushed pushed through the correct diameter pipe with a spiral in the middle that uh, sucked out all or pushed out all the material. Yeah. Three awards were given, a logistics award, there was the fastest launch, and innovation and design award, which Swiss Loop Tunneling won. And yet and also second place, of course, because we were the, the only other team allowed, allowed to dig. And this is why we chose Swiss Loop Tunneling for this episode. As I said in the beginning, it's something that we strive for in the, in the very beginning. We didn't want to make it a boring competition, kind of in that way. 
also for us, right? Because in the end, what, what you could have done is just bought a standard solution, right? And then dug through, through these 30 meters. It would have been cheaper. It would have been more like logistically, logistically probably easier. And it uh, would have probably led to more, uh, more meters being dug, right? By all sides. Something that we also want to represent Switzerland for is, is their innovation, right? Because uh, we're the, the country of, of tunneling. I saw the tunneling podcast also covered um, Hagebach. That is just one one of the many projects that are happening here in, in Switzerland, also the Gotha tunnel and so on. And we didn't want to go for a simple solution. We, we know our engineering, the engineering parts that we're focusing on, working on to, to get, get working perfectly. We're, we know that we have to um, integrate the parts in a, in a more reliable way, right? Which is something that, um, that we're now very hard working on right? for until, until the next competition. Challenges and competitions are a key part of innovation in recent years, and it does not end with Elon Musk, nor does it end with his not-a-boring competition. Swiss Loop Tunneling, their partners, other competitors, and the wider industry are picking up the torch. Just recently, the second uh, not-a-boring competition was announced. Um, I saw uh, this February you, you posted a podcast about uh, tunneling in, in Texas, and it's a nice coincidence because I think also on, on the same day, the Not A Boring competition was announced and it's taking part in Texas, right? And um, that's going to be in January of uh, 2023. And that is something that we're still internally discussing how, how that um, might collide with our other other projects or with other, our other events and the competitions that we want to take part in. That is, for instance, the European uh, Tunneling Week that we, in conjunction with all the other European teams of the Not A Boring competition, set up. They founded the European Tunneling Week, which will take place in Norwich, UK, in the beginning of September. And that is kind of our next, our next big competition that we will um, partake in with all the other European teams and potentially new new members joining. So re registrations have been open for a couple of weeks now, and we've already collected some uh, very interested parties. And uh, that would be the next next big thing for us and also for the the other teams. We thought from, from a competition standpoint, it would be much more interesting to have a multitude of different competitions. So one aspect is, of course, full-scale tunneling, which uh, would, would necessitate the teams to provide a full tunneling boring machine. So similar, very similar to what the boring company organized last year. But then there are also two different aspects that we um, thought up to make it also more interesting for other teams to join. So now September is not, not too far away. So we have this subsystem competition as well, where teams kind of think about and engineer a subsystem of a tunnel, bo tunnel boring machine, which could be propulsion, which could be the erosion system uh, or lining system. And then they um, can showcase their, their system there and put it to the test in specific testing rigs and um, provide, provide data of how well it's engineered, how well it works. and. Um, I think that also motivates smaller teams or teams that are just now starting with, uh, with this engineering project to partake in this competition. And the third aspect is the industry challenge. So we have a couple of 
partners working with us on that that would be a challenge set by industry partners so for instance uh, a mining company or a company wanting to put gas pipes in the ground or something they would provide a challenge so they would say okay we want no water involved for instance we had this one case where a, a company said okay they would like to mine fertilizer deep underground but it shouldn't involve water right we we don't want to fertilize it to uh, get lost into underground or, or um, get damaged by the water so that could be one potential challenge um, but of course we're in talks with with different other uh, industry uh, companies that provide these challenges and they would also then provide the price for it right, right. so two, two teams that that um, solved or um, put a major step into solving uh, these problems Luca agrees that the challenges are proliferating and there's a good reason for that I think um, that's because it's exciting, right? That's because uh, competition, I think, brings out much more from 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 teams than than other types of just showcasing or just just showing your systems. I think it's much more exciting to have uh, a better benchmark as well, right? What have other teams from other countries that have not been in contact with us until the competition? What have they engineered, right? Which ideas and problems did they come up and and say and um, fix, right? And um, I think that's part of the reason why it's so popular now to have uh, to have competitions, and um, because that's also that's also what's in what's the most representative, I think, of of the real real world. Because you always have to you always have to defend your solution and kind of see what others do and be better than them. But that's um, probably the most representative way of um, of engineering. The Tunnelling Podcast is the official podcast of the British Tunnelling Society and is a production of Reby Media. This episode was written and hosted by me, Alex Conacher, sound engineering by Ross McPherson, series supervision by John Young, and our executive producer is Rory Harris. Thank you for listening. You can find The Tunnelling Podcast on all podcast apps and on our website, tunnelling.reby.media.